0: You are listening to the Cycling Podcast.
1: Hello and Happy New Year to you, our listeners. It is now 2024, a year in which, should life imitate art and specifically the 1991 blockbuster Highlander 2, a corporation will come up with an ingenious plan to end climate change, namely by building a giant shield to shade the earth from the sun. Well, we thought hell would freeze over before Thibaut Pinot and Richard Plugger charged their glasses of beer, we should add, to celebrate the earth completing another lap of the sun. But that is indeed what happened in Tignes in the French Alps at the weekend. Will the remainder of 2024 reserve any greater surprise than that? Well, my name is Daniel Freeman. I am the host of this special annual speculation slash predictions episode of the Cycling Podcast. And I am here to help you... All of us answer that question. Will there be a bigger surprise than Richard Plugger and Thibaut Pinot having a drink together at tea at the weekend? I believe the the reason they bonded has something to do with the fact, well, the Pinot family were staying 100 metres, coincidentally from where Richard Plugger was spending his winter holidays. And they both own the same breed of dog, I believe. Swiss, Swiss, um, Swiss, um, Berger. Um, shepherd dogs. There you go. And um, one of our guests knows about dogs. I don't know anything about dogs. Um, but one of our guests is a dog lover. So, helping me to predict, prognosticate today, fresh off the plane from uh, Hawaii, I believe, yes. bound for France. I believe he's now in France. It is the Decathlon ag 2 La Mondiale team's Motown maestro, Larry Warbass, who's about to embark on his 12th full season as a professional, if I'm not mistaken. Larry, happy new year to you! Thanks, Daniel. How are you? Yeah,
2: good, good. Uh, yeah, I just
1: got off. Don't sound so excited about it. Twenty-eight
2: hour <laughs> travel day, uh, straight onto the cycling <laughs> podcast. So you know, uh, I'm yeah. ready. But no, no, it's you cool. sound absolutely
1: uh, psyched. Um, Swiss, Swiss shepherd dogs—is that a thing? Could that possibly um, be? Was it like, like Bernie's Mal or right?
2: something, or Saint Bernard? Yeah, maybe. It's a big white
1: thing. It, it, it kind of looks like a polar bear.
2: Oh. You sure it's not like a
1: Samoyed or something like that? I think I think they're called Swiss Mountain Dogs. Oh, Anyways, anyway, maybe our other guests will know, but, okay. but I'm doubtful. Yeah. Um, also, fresh off a plane, this one from Asturias to Mallorca in the Balearic Islands. I believe it's a man who's about. As Ofe with Motown, as I am with Cyclocross, it is the voice of one of the voices of cycling on Eurosport and elsewhere. It's Rob Hatch. Rob, uh, can you enlighten us on all matters canine? I suspect not.
3: Unfortunately not. I've got half of my family that are are real dog people, but I don't think they've ever had a a Swiss mountain dog or... (laughs) (laughs) doesn't sound like a very technical term does it a Swiss mountain dog there's got to be um, a better translation better. surely that can be the first audience task of 2024 Daniel
1: yes uh, maybe more maybe some Pinot and Plugger related predictions later on chaps but um, give me a a brief synopsis of your festive periods your respective festive periods because it's been a while um, since we've done a podcast the last time we convened was for our pre-Christmas special I believe so Larry you've been in Hawaii what you've been doing there yeah, so um, I
2: I went pretty much straight from training camp to Hawaii. So I went to the big island of Hawaii uh, for a week with my family. And then uh, my sister lives on Maui, so another island of Hawaii. So I went with her for a week uh, and stayed there. So pretty much just been hanging out with the family and training a bunch. So it's a really good place to ride. And, yeah, so I was just enjoying the sunshine, getting a lot of miles in. And, uh, yeah eating some good, uh, fresh ahi tuna.
1: You've just jogged my memory. You did one, um, quite remarkable ride, I think, which <laughs> yeah. was document- documented on social media. Um, tell us where you went and in particular how high you climbed.
2: Yeah. So, um, like on the big Island, uh, of Hawaii, there's like this very large mountain um old volcano called Kea, and i think it's like the longest or it's like it's the highest prominence road uh, in the world probably i think um because mm. you go from literally sea level to four thousand two hundred meters um so so yeah there's not most mountains that are that big they don't have uh, roads that go to the top and so this one had a road that goes all the way to the top and it's kind of like a thing there to like ride the whole, the whole thing. And so, yeah, I'd been there a bunch that I'd never actually done it. So this time I was like, okay, I should just do it. And then I was like looking at the Strava and I was like, oh, I might be able to take this. So um, I just kind of did like my normal training ride a little bit harder. And uh, I mean, the funny thing was, was like I tried to put on, you know, you can put on Strava segments or whatever, at least live mm-hmm. segments to tell you if you're ahead or behind. But for some reason, it didn't work uh, when I was leaving. And I did like two laps of the parking lot to try to get it to work didn't work. And I was like, Oh, whatever. And um, so anyway, when I was getting towards the top, I thought it was totally lost because there's this super long gravel section that's kind of sandy. I ended up having to get off and walk for a little bit because it was littered. I couldn't and you're already at like, you know, 3,700 meters and you can't get traction. what mm,
1: what is, is 3,700 meters feel like on the lungs in particular?
2: Uh, I mean the problem is you just can't go that hard because you're just like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you just can't really like if you push hard. So this is the hard thing was like in every switchback of this gravel, you had to really like hit it to just get up. And then like, you know, you would hit a flat section and you would be hardly even pedaling, you know? Um mm. so anyway, I uh I was like, Oh, I thought it was a lost cause. And then when I was like with like a K to go, I was like, Oh wow. I'm like within like a couple minutes of this thing one way or the other. I don't know. I was like, I guess I should just accelerate, you know? And so then I just accelerated, but I didn't know. I just like did the ride. I took some photos at the top and then I went down and when I got to the car, um, I uploaded the ride and I saw, I got it, I got it like by like 10 or 15 seconds and it's a five hour, it was a five hour segment. And I got about like, I literally, I think I passed him. You can see the like live segment thing. It was Phil Guymon who had it before. And I think I passed him in the last, like, no joke, like 200 meters, which is kind of funny.
1: Completely, completely blown up your lungs and your whole training schedule in the process. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, no. I pretty much just did the normal training okay. ride, so it was okay.
3: Decathlon's first <laughs> win in their history.
1: <laughs> uh, Larry, famously, you've got one of the highest maximum heart rates in the World <laughs> Tour, if not the lowest. Um, how high did the heart rate go on the highest mountain road in well we think possibly certainly hawaii anyway
2: no no it's really that, that's not a joke actually the whole no no no, no i know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah um no i mean i hit 146 the thing was i actually was doing like an endurance ride and then so i mm-hmm. did push a little bit at the end but i wasn't going i wasn't going like my max so so yeah hmm so hmm. i didn't didn't go um, too crazy
1: to Rob Hatch whose maximum heart rate is rather higher than 146 (laughs) um, based on the evidence that I've seen and Rob how was your Christmas
3: I certainly can't compete with that Hawaiian Christmas by the way as I'm I'm giving this answer Daniel's on Skyscanner looking for flights to the highest road in the world or whatever it is the mountain obsessive that he is Um, no I was pretty much near mountains in both places I was was in here at home in Sawyer for a few days over Christmas and then I went to Asturias to spend a bit of time with family and just got back today and I'm uh, I'm, I'm back uh, I'm back back behind the microphone this week we've got the European track championships coming up so that'll get going and then first road races
1: challenge Mallorca just up the road excellent well,, um, things have already been happening on and off the bike in 2024, and um, well, on that note, we should have a bit of a news roundup. I'm going to try and keep the news roundups a little bit more concise this year. Um, therefore,'m going to pick five stories, and um, we're going to talk a little bit more about what I or we deem to be the most important of those five stories. but um, w- this week. The five stories I have chosen um, in sort of ascending order of importance: um, cyclocross first. And there have been a lot of men's races since our last roundup, and they have all been won by Matthieu van der Poel. Rob, am I right? Yes, he hasn't lost this season. Ten out of ten. Um, very quickly, very quickly. Your twenty-second hot take: Why is he winning everything? Why is every race turning into a cakewalk? Basically because he's a lot better at riding his bike through the sand and the mud than everybody there else. There you Danny. go. That's enough on cyclocross for the week. Um, no, and <laughs> is that it? Is that it? It is. Okay. On the women's side, um, Puck Peterser was the winner in Zonhoven, where Vanderpool also won at uh, the weekend while Céline del Carmen Alvarado. Do you say the whole name? Céline oh. del Carmen Alvarado. Yeah, born in Dominican Republic, but she's Dutch yeah. race. So they they, okay, they generally
3: cute. use Alvarado as the surname.
1: Well, Celine del Carmen Alvarado still leads the overall World Cup standings on the women's side. Um, next on the road, Luke Plapp is still the reigning Australian men's national road race champion, as he has been since 2022, making his road race debut for his new team, Jaco Alula. Plapp took the title for the third consecutive year, third consecutive time, after a very early move with teammate Chris Harper in the women's race representing the same team, Jaco Alula, Ruby Roseman, Gannon was the winner in an 11-up group sprint. Next, Europe, where Primoz Roglic's race programme has been unveiled. Now riding for Bora Hansgrohe, of course, Rog will line up in Paris-Nice, then Tour of the Basque Country, then the Dauphiné. And that will make 22 days of racing before the Tour de France in theory. That's four fewer than in 2022 and five more than in 2021. Um, Larry, quickly, only stage races for Roglic before the Tour de France. Can you see the wisdom of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nowadays it's like when these teams are so dialed with the training and doing all the altitude and everything, you know, I think... uh, sort of probably like a few races just to get the fine tuning at the end um is good but uh yeah i think you know then you can really just control your rest recovery and your build so uh you know i think that's just the way everything's going now and i think it's probably the i think it's probably the best you know the other thing is if you're only doing stage races you also eliminate all those travel days so you know if you're doing one days you kind of lose two days on each side um and if you're really trying to, yeah, win the Tour de France, uh, if you lose, you know, six, eight, ten days of training uh, by going to a bunch of one days, uh, that adds up by, by the time you get to the Tour.
1: Mm-hmm. Who knows what else Primoz Roglic will get up to in 2024? Maybe, maybe exploring... Um, I don't know, maybe musical talents that we didn't know anything <laughs> about. And um, maybe we'll find out more about that later in the podcast. And um, we'll also get to some other news regarding Primoz Roglic's new team in a minute. But moving our attention to his old employer, uh, Visma Lisa Bike, in the last few days, they have made the surprise announcement that the. 34-year-old Belgian Julian Vermotta will take the last place on their 2024 roster. In 2023, Vermotta raced Kermesses, or as Google Translate calls them, fairground races, um, for a one-man team that he had set up himself. This is a nice story Um, and a sort of parable of persistence, resilience, never giving up. Someone who... Um, most people would have advised to end his career a year ago, but he carried on and has been rewarded now. And um, very useful rider. Finally, back to Borat Hansgrohe to say that last week, the team confirmed reports in the Austrian business press to the effect that the energy drink giant Red Bull would will acquire a 51% controlling stake in the team's management company, subject to a review by the relevant antitrust and regulatory bodies team is making no further comment at this time. But gentlemen, I heard this on the grapevine three or four months ago, that this was going to happen. And I put it to various people on the team and I got only denials rebuttals. And I was told that while well, the clothing was all made, um, everything was already set in stone. So it was out of the question that anything of this nature would happen. Uh, Red Bull, it's a really interesting move. It's a really interesting development for professional cycling. Red Bull, um, I think everyone's familiar with the energy drink itself, but they are an enormous company. Um, Their marketing budget for 2022 was around 3, mil- three billion euros, their marketing budget. Um, and that's around 25, 30% of the annual revenue. Um, sales revenue, approximately $10 billion a year. They often, or it's an often quoted stat that every year more than one can of Red Bull is sold to every person on earth. Oh, that's what wow. the sort of numbers shake out as anyway. And um, well, chaps, well, Larry, first of all, did you know that this was in the pipeline? Um, and are you surprised by it? And what do you think it might mean for the team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like you, I heard those sort of like murmurs uh, at the end of the season last year. And then, you know, when they said that Roglic was going to go there they talked a little more about it. And so I was like, Oh, that'd be cool. But then, yeah, I don't know. We didn't really see anything for quite a while. So I I honestly had just kind of forgotten about it. Um, yeah. Should it happen, which it sounds like it's going to, I think that's pretty awesome for the sport. You know, I, I don't know about you, but what I had heard for a long time is that they were like avoiding road cycling. Um, and I don't know, I think they had various reasons for that. But another one being like, it's just not really an extreme sport. And, you know, they're really about extreme sports.
1: Um, yeah. And, and in, individual athletes, they're not really, they haven't really been about team sports. I mean, obviously, there's the example of the Formula One team and the football teams as well. Maybe in Sailing Austria. Too, no? yeah but the the emphasis has generally been on individual athletes yeah and and as you say extreme sports
2: so so yeah so anyway uh, i think it'd be really awesome if they got into cycling and i think it'd be great for the sport so uh, you know it's a cool company um they have a great image so i think it would be pretty sweet if they uh get involved in any capacity really so so i think it's a big win for everyone
1: Rob you've done some work for Red Bull I yeah. know in the past and you might be able to speak as well to how they might harness and use their well their own media um, that, well they've got a, a their own media company haven't they
3: yeah Red Bull house over in um, in Salzburg in Vienna and uh, close to Vienna. I should say, or oh, in Austria, in the, same, in the same nation state at least. Uh, I know they do have offices over in Vienna as well. They're a big Austrian-based company, as you know. Um, you talked about the individual athletes there as well, as well, Larry. They were heavily involved in cyclocross for a little while. That's where I did some work with them. And again, it was all about creating stories about the athletes and in particular new markets. They weren't, too interested in Belgium. They weren't too interested in Holland. They wanted the sport to be a global one. They were massive on the US market, and that was a very big thing for them. They wanted the US rights. They wanted to make it this big global thing. As you said, Daniel, it's a massive global brand. And a bigger success was the mountain biking, wasn't it? But then that mountain biking was taken by um, what is now Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, so that's a, a very a very uh, that's a topic I know quite a little, quite a bit about as well, but um, I'm not sure how much I can say on it. But again, I think that would have been very disappointing for Red Bull to lose that stake in the market, and maybe that's why they've turned their attention to to road cycling. We will have to see, but I'm with Larry. I think it's only, can only be a good thing, a, a, a big investment, a massive company, and it's all about image, as you're saying. It's all about image, and if they can change the image of the sport and turn on a new audience, then you know that has to be a positive thing, doesn't it?
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating company, a company that's been controversial as well. Um, it's very unpopular, for example, in the world of German football, for example, uh, which is well documented. But there's some great documentaries about um, how it is, in effect, a marketing company and not a drinks company. And uh, it has a very sort of innovative, for what was certainly, and I think has been copied since, but uh, an innovative business model. Um, Just as far as sort of livery and image is concerned, uh, obviously the team released its kit a few weeks ago and there was no Red Bull branding on it. Um, I believe that that will remain the case for now, at least. Um, I think people have speculated that there may be Red Bull helmets that are worn. However, um, it's important to stress that this this deal hasn't gone through yet and that might be the barrier to a, a complete overhaul. Also, We've seen many times over the last few years, um, teams tend to unveil new kits, new sponsors on the eve of the Tour de France. Exactly.
3: What I was going to say, if you, if you want the maximum impact where the world's media turns up once a year, doesn't it? Let's be honest. You know, we love our cycling world. But, you know, if we're going to be realistic about the focus, full focus of the world's media, it is in July, isn't it? So that's the best time if, you, if you're going to drop a new kit.
1: And that is the end of the news roundup but this week we are going to add a postscript to say that on December 30th we, like the rest of the world of cycling, were shaken by the tragic news of former Team Pursuit World Champion Melissa Hoskins' death. In her career Hoskins collected further national titles on the road and track and also represented Australia at the Olympics. She was killed outside her home near Adelaide, apparently by a vehicle driven by her husband, Rowan Dennis. Dennis was subsequently arrested and charged with causing death by dangerous driving, driving without due care and endangering life. Dennis has been released on bail and will appear in court in March. Needless to say, our thoughts and sympathies go to the family and the friends of Melissa Hoskins.
0: The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science.
1: Well, chaps, this is the now annual time-honoured speculation slash predictions episode in which we do indulge for once in, in a bit of that, in a bit of the old or the new speculation How this episode is going to work as it's worked in the past, chaps, we are going to hear the predictions of some of our friends, associates, colleagues, and then we are going to discuss and debate them and... Um, well, evaluate the plausibility of some of them. So I suggest we start with a rider, not Larry Warbus. Um We're going to have some of Larry's predictions as well at some point in the episode, I hope. Um, I, I'm not going to embarrass him by bringing up last year's produc- predictions. I don't um, remember them. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't either, Larry. Let's hear first from an Australian rider, um, a former podium finisher at the Vuelta a España, He'll be looking to have a better season in 2024 than he did in 2023. It is Bahrain victorious's Jack Haig. Here's Jack.
4: Okay, predictions for 2024. Let me overthink. I reckon we're going to see more emphasis put on aerodynamics. We've already seen the Aero Ears helmet from Cask and Felipe Gana. I think we're going to see a few more quirky aerodynamic things going on. Maybe some weird radio contraptions for making aerodynamic semi-fairings for time trials. Uh, the Tour de France will be won by Pogachar. I think it's going to be very good to see Primoz on Bora. And whether he can transfer the results and the seasons that he's had in Jumbo across to the Bora team. Very interesting that Red Bull is now going to be a sponsor there. So it's very good to see new companies come into the sport. I think Jonas will struggle. Hot take. No reason behind it. Then... Liege, Bastogne-Liege, will be won by Mate Mohoric and uh, Milanis and Remo. Pogacar will go solo and take the solo victory. All right, some hot takes there with zero information behind them, but just throwing out there some ideas. Biggest one, random error things like error is.
1: Well, chaps, um, some sizzling, sizzling hot takes there from Jack Haig. Um, suitably sizzling, um, I would say. Um, totally ab- ab- unsubstantiated as well. We like those. Um, Jonas Vingegaard will struggle for no reason that Jack was able to um, explain. And um, Tade Pogacar is going to, well, not clean up, um, but he's going to win the tour. He's going to win Sam Remo, according to Jack Haig. Um, Tade Pogacar, as you would expect, I suppose, is going to figure prominently in these produc- predictions. And let's hear from someone else now who thinks that Tade Pogacar is going to have a bit of an annus mirabilis. Um, this is our friend Magnus Ora, who we've had on the podcast before. He works for TV2 in Norway. Here's Magnus.
5: So here are the big predictions slash hot takes for 2024 coming to you from Norway. Number one, Tadej Pogacar will become only the third rider in history, I think, to win the Giro, the Tour and the Worlds in the same season. A slightly easier Giro route should help him. And I do think that Jonas Vingigor, based on, well, nothing, I guess, just won't win a third Tour in a row. And the Worlds in Zurich is um, obviously perfect for Pogacar. Number two, continuing with a the Pog theme. After winning the triple, I do think he'll end up fulfilling a boy who dream and release a song, probably a rap of some kind, on Spotify, and thus become not only a champion cyclist, but also a famous and renowned artist. His song will likely feature either Primoz Roglic, Matej Mohoric, or maybe Snoop Dogg. Who knows? Anyway, uh, speaking of dogs... I don't think Nairo Quintana will be top dog in 2024, but I do fancy a sensational podium placing in the Giro for Nairo Man. Maybe? I think. Anyway, that's my three predictions for 2024.
1: Well, chaps, um, a lot to conjure with there. A lot to conjure with. um, Not least the revelation that. Tadej Pogacar, not only will he be in the winner's enclosure in 2024, but he also may be in the studio laying down some beats. Before we discuss the predictions, I'm going to serve up the first cycling podcast exclusive of 2024. We were lucky enough to get a leak earlier on in the week, a leak that came from, well, a source that obviously I can't name, um, which, well, you're about to hear, and, um, and you're gonna hear that Tade Pogaccia has already been in the studio and he's been there with Snoop Dogg and Snoop Rog.
6: Snoop, you ready to drop these vocals, man? shares with my I'm gone. I'm
7: dead. Good day, I'll huh? really enjoy it. Like I said, I'm gone. I'm dead. Bigger Jeff Frizzle, your little frizzle's off the hizzle. It shares with my I'm gone. I'm dead. Like I like I like I, like I said. Good day up, we will enjoy it. Good day up. We will
1: enjoy it. Okay, chaps. Uh I think that's the nonsense nearly over for this podcast, then we're gonna get onto the serious business. Boggy um, style, eh? Yeah, I think, I don't know whether we can only go downhill or things can only get better from from there um, in 2024. However, we heard there are a lot of predictions about what's going to happen on the road in 2024. Going to go back to what we heard about Jack Haig. sorry, from Jack Hague. Larry, I'm going to start with you. Um, Jack predicts a lot of um, tinkering, tweaking, innovating, on the aerodynamic front in 2024 um now the uci are already and i know they've been a bit vague about this they're already clamping down on the angled um brake levers aren't they And angled um drop handlebars um which are one of the one of the sort of uh aerodynamic hacks that we've seen propagate through the peloton over the last three or four years. But what, what do you think we might see on the aerodynamic front in 2024?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think he's right. You know, I mean, he was referring to, you know, it sounded like some of the stuff with like the time trial helmets, like, Hmm. um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this thing is, I don't know if you noticed this, but like, um, Ineos' visors, they have this little, like, ridge on the bottom now, and that's what he's talking about. And I, I don't know. I can't imagine that's a gigantic gain, um, but maybe it's, like, one or two watts, which which obviously could make a difference, you know, makes a difference in the time trial. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, we'll still keep seeing all these small progressions in the TTs, um, you know, I would say people in the UK, they're really on top of this kind of stuff. Um, You know, a guy like Dan Bigham, he's really on the forefront with an AO. So, you know, I'm sure they'll be always sort of pumping out new stuff. But I guess the one place that I see that we'll probably see a lot more progression is on the road bikes. You know, I think now we're going to start seeing a lot of teams start to do like um, aerodynamic testing on road bikes because, That's sort of like, you know, the next, that's like the only area that's sort of untapped. So, you know, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more um, tinkering with some crazier positions than we've seen on road bikes.
1: Is there much still there to gain?
2: Oh, I mean, on a road bike, there's a ton to gain. Really? You know, I mean, it's like, if you have a bad position on the TT bike to a good position, you can be gaining, I mean, at like 50k an hour, you can be gaining, I mean, Mm. this is from a bad one to a good one. It can be like 50 watts, you know, which is like a couple K an hour, right? Um, So that's like a lot. Uh, And so, you know, on a road bike, you could definitely be gaining that much if you are going from an optimized, optimal position to just upright and not really paying attention. So, you know, I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more guys, like everyone's going to be wearing skin suits, probably going to be even more dialed with the skin suits now, you know, like Ben Healy was this year, always wearing the the TT suit, you know, I think it's just, everyone's going to be starting to focus more and more on those details. And, you know, I think it's going to be more of a Peloton wide thing rather than just like an individual thing. So I definitely agree with Jack on that.
1: Okay. Next, Jack predicted that Pogaccio would win the tour. Vingegaard would struggle. Um, again, as I said earlier, based on nothing in particular, based on a bit of a, on a hunch, um, I, I got the sense from a lot of these predictions that there was some well bias in the sense that Pogacar winning the tour is the outcome that most people, a lot of people, whether they be riders or fans, seem to want, um, and they're just sort of crossing their fingers. Rob,
3: it's a character thing, isn't it? I think we've talked about it several times. It's not Jonas' fault. It's not not anyone else's fault, is it? Um, Pogacar's an entertainer. He's um, a special rider. It's the way he wins, isn't it? You know, uh, it's like Barcelona Real Madrid thing a few years ago. You know, they both win, but one does it in a different style than the other. And Tade Pogaccio off the bike, as we just heard a moment ago, with uh, the new entry at number ten. Um, <laughs> he's a, he's a very very popular popular person, and I can understand that. That's going to spread through fans, and naturally, it's going to spread through riders as well, isn't it? Everyone's got their favourites, uh, although some of us can't can't admit to having them.
1: Yeah, we, we, there's this sort of dogma in um, professional cycling around the Tour de France that the best rider in the peloton crashes, well, they they, they tend to stop crashing. When they suddenly become the best rider in the Tour de France, and the guy who's expected to win the Tour de France, and the Tour de France Alpha, um, they have tended in the past to get ill less, and to crash less, and they seem to be the victim of less bad luck. And some of that is because they are the best. Um, Mm -hmm. They're the most resilient physically. They maybe don't have to go as deep, so they're not getting as ill, or they're not getting ill as often, and so on and so forth. So they're not not maybe pushing the envelope as much as the guys who are straining to keep up. Larry, is there something in that and is that um, uh, one argument for Vingegaard continuing to avoid crashes and avoid the sort of mishaps and misfortunes which would open the door for a Pogacar uh, or a Roglic? Because the figures and what we've seen on the road the last two years are pretty eloquent and emphatic. They tell us that Vingegaard is the strongest rider.
2: I mean, I think you have a point what you said with, you know, I would say guys who are on the limit. I don't know about getting sick, but they definitely crash more, you know, because you have to take more risks. If you're like on the limit, you know, maybe you need to like catch back or save some energy on the descent, things like that, you know, so maybe guys who are really pushing the limits crash more. um, And maybe that's why sort of like the favorites in the tour crash less. But, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I also really like Pogacar, but I don't really see Vingegaard as being uh, too fallible. You know, I mean, he he's pretty rock solid and his team is the most rock solid. So, yeah, I can't see, like, I mean, Vingegaard's going to have the perfect preparation and Pogachar's mm-hmm. going to have less than ideal preparation because he's doing the Giro. So, I just, I mean, I can't really see it even, I mean, maybe Roglic, you know. To me, that that's a possibility. I could see Roglic winning more than I could almost see pogachar winning. But, but yeah
3: couple of things to add to that. It's, um, you know, Daniel Euless in this, it's, uh, it's a Tour de France that's got plenty of roglification opportunities, including on, on day one, hasn't it? Uh, all across the Epe Nines and finishing on the east of Italy. It doesn't, mm. you know, th- there's plenty of opportunities. It's an atypical tour. But going back to Jonas Wienergaard just then, He's going to have to do it the harder way, I think, this year. And, and you know, Larry, please correct us if we're wrong here, but there's none out of a hoidonk, obviously. You know, very, very sadly, he's had to retire. He was his sort of guardian angel, wasn't he, in the last couple of years on the flat and on the slightly hilly parkour. And a man for all terrain, who has been just about the best all-round bike rider going in the last few years. Walt van Aert won't be at his side either in July. So, you know, there's a different team around him in some aspects this year.
2: I mean I don't think it's going to be any less strong. Okay, wow, Van Art, that's maybe a loss, but but uh, you know, I mean, they're so strong and they're so deep that uh, you know, I think uh I don't think they're going to be hurting in that department, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess every year UAE is getting stronger too. So, I guess it'll just be Bora is more like a little bit weaker on that end. But yeah.
1: Yeah and then there is there's always this sense that well dynasties whether they be sort of team dynasties or individual dynasties can only um can only last so long and they sort of taper to an an ending for various reasons also because you know we've talked a bit over the last few months about the sense that yumbo Visma are maybe be less popular than they were and that shouldn't affect things on the road but it, it can lead to pressures um, this is obviously I'm speaking before referring to the period before Thibaut Pino became their um, became their public relations czar <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and did the best piece of PR that they've had for the last year or so um, but there, there is this uh, sort of sense that well continuing to win is, is much more difficult than winning the first time. Um, and also personalities in the team. Rob, you talked about the absent absentees this year. Um, they're going to be certainly losing Watts Are they also going to be losing forceful voices in the sort of dressing room on the bus? And This is sort of, this is speculation. But they're all things that could, could open that door, that window of opportunity for someone else. I'm not sure
3: about the, obviously, I think you have to be, you know, Larry's got a much better idea than, than we have, obviously from, you know, talking to training mates and people in the peloton. It's difficult to gauge from the outside, isn't it? What the atmosphere is like on the bus. Who's the motivator? Who does the talking? Who might be missed this July? Who might have gone um, in terms of leaving the team or might be not on the same programme this year? That's difficult. One thing to add is, you know, you talked about maybe being less popular. That just comes as a product of winning, doesn't it? I know yeah, that may- course, yeah, I know that course. maybe Richard Pluger. Possibly hasn't helped the cause this winter with certain statements and pronouncements and things like that. And you know that that's uh, just them wanted to force their agenda anyway, and quite naturally so, even even if people don't agree with a lot of statements and pronouncements. But um, I think that you know, like you say, naturally people want variety and whoever's winning people aren't going to enjoy it if it's always the same team no, are they
1: no but i do think um, and larry correct me if i'm wrong but that that maybe lack of popularity or their sort of decreasing popularity we will see evidence of that on the road in the tactics of other teams at times you might have to look quite hard for it but there might be times where teams are particularly motivated to stop jumbo winning
2: yeah i mean I guess for me the thing the, the unpopularity came more in the Vuelta, I think, yeah. where they were just like unreal dominant, you know. I mean, I think that kind of more just pissed everyone off because everyone was just like, oh, like, what, what do we do now?" You know, I mean, like, and, and I don't think that's going to be the case at the Tour de France. Uh, we hope not; otherwise, like, that'll be kind of sad. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I think that was more of a one-off thing, and I don't, I don't think like people, at least other people in the peloton. I mean, yeah, they're like damn, you know, Jumbo's super strong. But, like, I don't think anyone's, like, holding it against them that much. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think everyone's just going to the race to race and do their best and try to get results. And, like, I mean, it is what it is, you know. If if they're smashing it, they're smashing it. Um, but, yeah, you know, I would say, like, it's probably more of a PR problem on the outside. You know, I would say the fans – probably would rather see someone else win more than, you know, I would say the riders in the race, like, are a little less concerned about that
1: yeah and it can also work both ways it can breed a siege mentality which turns into a force for good for the team within the team so it can also galvanize a team and um, it, it did at, t- at times for Sky for example um, chaps Mohorich um, Liege I can see that particularly as he's a rider who when he targets a race particularly a one day race we saw with Milan San Remo um, he goes to great lengths to prepare it and um, well we, we saw. Or the dropper seat post at Sam Raimo. So I can definitely see that. Yes, both of you, Mohorich, possible, difficult. Given, I say it's given, possible. Yeah, oh, sorry. no, no, you, no. You but, uh, sorry, just difficult
3: given um, given who else is going to be targeting it. I'm thinking principally of someone yeah. like him,
2: mm. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with Rob. You know, I mean, I, it's possible without a doubt. It's possible, but like. Um, I think if he comes to yeah La du Rochelle avec avec <laughs> with some other guys <laughs> uh, you know I think uh, I I don't think he has Should, the same time you see the whole like, podcast so in French
1: now Larry we we'll put out <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't know where that is we we'll get goes, AI I'm to sorry. translate it back into
1: English
2: <laughs> I'm petting the dog and you know maybe I was
1: Sort of speaking to him in French, you know? Okay, okay. Um, and Pog at San Remo, I think that's a difficult one as much as I'd like to see it. Um, I, As always with San Remo, it will come down to millimetres. Um, whether it's millimetres yeah. at the top of the Pog- Poggio or... The Poggio, you, you revealed uh, oh,
5: yeah. it
1: already. You've just written my commentary line for me yeah, for March. Yeah, Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, uh, he's going to keep trying and uh, he might get w- one opportunity between now and the end of his career. Um, but I think it's going to be difficult.
3: It's that what's that sort of 500 metres, kilometre, isn't it, towards the top exactly. of the Poggio that is going to decide things
1: exactly
2: Well, i'd love to see Poggy win win sunday i think it'd be super
1: cool it would be but cool. I,
2: I i do think he'll win the worlds
1: yes that has well that has also been predicted by magnus yeah, someone pre- predicted, predicted that, yeah. the triple crown um completed previously only completed by stephen roach eddie merckx um those two riders so the giro d'italia tour de france and the world's in the same season. The Giro, I think there is definitely a consensus that he's going to be the overwhelming favourite for that. Um, The Tour, can he become the first rider since Marco Pantani in 1998 to do the Tour Giro double? And then after that, the World Championships in Zurich. Um, Larry, you probably have looked in greater detail at the route than I have. Um, Again, people seem to think that it will suit Pogacar. Um you're nodding. It's
2: super hard. That's all I know. It's like four thousand five hundred meters of climbing or something. Mm. Uh something like that. So yeah, I think it's just gonna be a super hard, you know, it's gonna be uh Lombardia. You know, you know what I mean? It's gonna be just like an epic one day mountain stage pretty much i think so
3: and and slovenia will have the team as well if you think about it for that sort That's of parkour true, yeah. as well aren't they and you know they i think even in the past when they've ridden together roglic and pogac have ridden quite well together they sort of get on don't they even though they're very different characters and think of that supporting cast you just mentioned one of them daniel mohoric there's the likes of Trapnik, and yeah. we could go on all day if, they, if they've got the numbers which it's we true. will do because of the the uci points and all that sort of stuff they'll i think start out as big favorites won't they
1: Final prediction from Magnus was Nairo Man to finish on the Giro podium. Um, Can he, can Nairo Man in his comeback year with Movistar finish in the top three of the Giro? And failing that, I don't know, could there be space for him in the Pog Rog Snoop Dogg supergroup? Well, he was on the mass singer, wasn't he? Well, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In Colombia. Esta noche, Um, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah. Nidal man finishing on the podium in the giro we still don't know exactly all the riders who are going to be going for gc at the giro but uh, i wouldn't rule out with you chaps
3: no definitely not. no
1: i no. definitely think it's possible yeah
3: <laughs> uh, I, okay I, I, do you know what, I'll, I'll give my first i'm not very good at these predictions so i'm gonna give one very very quickly here i actually think that naido quintana i'm being serious now will take the most wins of any rider on movistar this year
1: Okay. Um, I, can't,
3: the... I can't see another Movistar rider win. I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, I'm not saying he's going to win a tier or anything like that, but in terms of race wins, he'll turn up. I think he'll compete and, and win. Wherever that is, I'm not sure, but I can't see too many mother, Movistar riders unless we see the old Fernando Gaviria suddenly back out of nowhere.
1: Ah, yeah, Gaviria remember him Um, maybe he'll make a comeback in 2024 Um, I'm always unkind about Gavidi I shouldn't be Um, chaps let's have another prediction shall we yes Daniel
8: Uh, so my prediction for 2024 in the great world of cycling is that a Frenchman is going to win the Tour de France What is my, (laughs) on what do I base my prediction? Well, it's very simple. As you know, the last time a Frenchman won the Tour de France was in 1985. um, And I covered my first Tour de France in 1986. And since then, uh, well, no Frenchman won the Tour. Um, So obviously the jinx was my fault. And since I've given up on covering the Tour uh, and I retired from the Tour last year, well, if the, the, if there was really a jinx, and why not? Um, well, there's you know there's every uh, probability that a Frenchman is going to win the tour. So you're going to ask me, but who and how? Um, that's a very good question, uh, and it's a hard one. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the The best place, uh, you know, on paper would be David Gaudu, but I don't believe it for a second uh, that he could win the tour. Uh, what what I think is we we've seen very logical Tour de France uh, in recent years. It's 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 been a long time since we didn't ha- have a major surprise like a you know fifteen minute gap in a breakaway or something. I mean a couple of Tour de France, you know, have have you know seen their 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 outcome change dramatically because there was some yeah some silly uh, yeah surprise or upset. Happening So why not uh, this year? You know, why not a big surprise uh, in the year when I'm not covering the tour anymore? And uh, if that's so, why not Romain Bardet? I know he's old, but you never know, you know, the kind of uh, swan song for Bardet uh, in a team in which he settled more and more. And uh, yeah, it's about time he does something. So why not? Uh, And on the other scale, at the other end of the scale, uh, in in terms of of age, why not Lenny Martinez, you know, all of a sudden gets in the right breakaway, you know, supported by a strong Groupama team and uh, goes all the way to win the Tour. Why not? Who knows? Um, Well, let's uh, live and hope, but that was my prediction for
1: 2024. So, uh, François Tomaso, who of course, famously is not doing the Tour de France this year, has now definitely retired, um, unlike Fernando Gaviria and unlike Nairo Quintana. Um, Are we sure that Francois has retired? I'm never sure that Francois has retired. I still think that he may make an appearance. Um, He thinks a Frenchman could win the Tour de France. Um, Now, um, I struggle to see how this... That's very diplomatic of you, Daniel. How the jinx could be broken. Um, Two... Theories. One, that beer that Richard Plugger had with Thibaut Pino at the weekend was actually a sort of clandestine meeting, and he was talking Thibaut back out of retirement to come back. Um, replace Jonas Vingegaard as the Visma Lisa bike team leader for the 2024 Tour de France. And the only other thing I could think of is that Jonas Vingegaard spends a lot of time in France and in Annecy in particular. I, know, I don't know if he's got a house there, but maybe, I don't know, maybe he's been, he's working his way towards naturalisation as a French citizen between now and July. Because otherwise, Larry, I don't really see any chance of this. However, I do love this idea of the um, Oscar Pereiro sort of winner. We've had a few of them in the history of the tour. A freak breakaway um, that might get 15 minutes or half an hour. And whoever it is that ends up in the yellow jersey will remain in the yellow jersey. And will be the benefactor of a huge misjudgment by Yumbo visma, visma um sorry visma bike visma bike lisa bike <laughs> visma, i don't know why i'm laughing lisa that'll be me bike, next week when the race starts lisa lisa bike and united arab emirates team hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uae sorry you know what i mean larry um of bonjour as you deserve yes uh, Larry I think, I think we've talked about this before I, 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 whether this could still happen and whether it could still happen in the Tour de France a huge misjudgment miscalculation and um, I don't know maybe one of your teammates Larry maybe an Aurélien Paris Peintre, um, could end up in 20 minutes ahead of Jonas Vingegaard and Tade Pogacar and Klingon how could it happen where could it happen what circumstances might lead to it happening Larry
2: I could only see that potentially happening for like a podium place, but not for the win, you know? Um, mm. But yeah, you know, I think if it's like the race has been crazy hard and, um, you know, see so have back-to-back-to-back super hard days and then finally like Jumbo wants to give up the jersey and then, you know, a few of the teams look at each other, they let it go and then it just goes and goes and goes and then they wait way too long and it ends up being a strong break and they, they are able to ride super hard you never know. I mean, it's possible. Uh, there is a small possibility that could happen. Um, unlikely, but, uh, you know, I think the problem is, it's just way too high stakes now in the Tour de France, but like, uh, Mm. yeah, I mean, there's, there's a chance it could happen. Um, but yeah, I guess we're about due for it to happen in terms of general statistics, but, uh, I I still don't think there's a huge chance that's going to happen.
3: There's a chance in the way that in Dumb and Dumber, when um, he's, you know, leaving the the ski resort and he thinks that there's an opportunity to get with the lady that he takes the suitcase back to. Um, because... <sighs> It's so much difficult, isn't it, nowadays? Let's be honest. Every race is on the telly. Every sports director has the telly on in the car. There's velo viewer to tell us about which lumps and bumps are coming up. You can't maybe drive out there a month before have the local knowledge and say, no one's going to know about this, but the wind's going to blow here. This is where you're going to get away. And it's even more difficult for things to happen like, and, you know, it only, it didn't go to the end, did it, Daniel? But I'm thinking about the Giro d'Italia on the way to L'Aquila. David Arroyo but but even then you know the the TV coverage only started up once because I I remember that was one of the first races I, mm. I commented the second year I was ever at I think and we came to air and the damage had already been done <laughs> it had happened before the cameras were on mm. so it's really difficult and obviously last year you know with Sepkus uh slightly different circumstances of course you know because he'd been up there in general classification anyway before so we're not talking about you know an Oscar Paddy to, or-
1: to an extent you could say that, that was a slight miscalculation although in reality that day and Larry correct me if I'm wrong I think Jumbo <laughs> that was, was not a miscalculation well yeah Jumbo <laughs> were, pull- Jum- Jumbo were <laughs> yeah. pulling all of the str- I don't think any other team apart Yumbo had any say really in what was happening that day, particularly. I think yeah. they controlled yeah, it from- we
2: were just we were just victims along the ride. <laughs> yeah,
1: just roadkill. But yeah. again, and I think yeah. I'd put Sepkus in a slightly different category
3: of rider than you know somebody who would just come out of nowhere and take it like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I can remember there have been a couple of times when it's almost happened, Rob. Um the My first Tour de France in 2001, the famous, infamous days to Pontarlier when um, François, I always get them mixed up, it was François-Simon, wasn't it? Not Pascal. François-Simon ended up in the yellow jersey, but the late Andre Kivilev was underestimated that day and ended up looking for quite a while as though he could pose a serious threat to Lance Armstrong. I think he ended up finishing fourth. And then L'Aquila, the thing those two days had in common was dire, dire weather. Mm-hmm. Um, the 2006 one with Floyd Landis and Oscar Pereira, I think that happened because it was the year after Lance Armstrong had bowed, the controversial Lance Armstrong, to give him his full name, um, had bowed out and there was confusion generally in the peloton about the sort of mm, the balance of well the the kind of power structure um Armstrong had left a a vacuum and that led to confusion about who should be pulling when and which teams were dangerous, which riders were dangerous. I think that was a, a big factor there as well as other factors. But um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, probably the the going rate for a tour, tour de France like that is maybe one every quarter or third of a century. Um, maybe even less frequently than that. So um, don't give up hope yet, Francois. Your jinx, which may become one of the most famous jinxes in professional cycling, if this does come to pass, come to bear, um, it might be. It might sort of surpass the, cu- the curse of the rainbow jersey, the curse of Francois Tourmazot, if a Frenchman wins the Tour de France. Um, it, may, it may happen. Um, last prediction of this part. We're going to go to Australia, and our good mate Mitch Docker.
5: My predictions for this season are that Cavendish won't get the elusive record. One more year, it's still just going to get out of his reach, unfortunately for him. I reckon Caleb's going to come back and fire five stages at the Tour de France. Maybe that could be a bit much. I
1: might need to look at the actual stages to work that out. But he's going to win a few. I feel like being back home at Green Edge will make him get back to his old winning form. So, chaps, something for the sprinters here, um, or about the sprinters. No record 35th um, Tour de France stage win for Mike Cavendish. Of course, he already has the record, but um ex-acquio with um Eddie Merckx, jointly with Eddie, Eddie Merckx, but he won't win another one in July, says Mitch. And Caleb Ewan will win lots of them, maybe as many as five. There might be an issue there
3: because I don't think Caleb's going to the tour.
1: (laughs) um, That is true. I I I think it's still a Yeah, I can also tell you Caleb was the reason I I had to get out of bed at five o'clock this morning and um, and wait for another hour because because there's a bit of a mix-up on time zones um, for an interview this morning. But yes, whose fault was it? Um, It was actually Caleb's fault, but come on, we're going to let him off the hook. He's been (laughs) travelling all around Australia. He he was in Brisbane. He thought he was in Melbourne. Easy mistake to Ah, make.
3: To be honest, he's on that weird half-hour time zone, isn't he, in Adelaide? I think so. I think so.
1: So anyway, Caleb, you're right. Um, Caleb will... Well, you say, Rob, he won't um, because he's not doing Tour de France. That is the plan. That Mm. is the plan. However, Caleb Young was supposed to go to the Tour de France in, in... the last year of his first stint with Orica Greenedge and they put a press release out in the previous December saying that Ewan is in our tour team and they changed their mind. So they could change their mind again.
3: But there's all sorts that can happen. We know that, but um, yeah, on the first schedule, it was pretty clear that Ewan was going to go to the Giro and they were going to send Dylan Krunewagen
1: to, to the Tour de France. Yes. Uh, Larry Cavendish. Yeah, your name.
2: Uh, I mean, I really hope he does it. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't want to bet against him because I'd just be pumped if he won one more stage. You know, I think it'd be really cool. I think he'll be there or thereabouts, whether he gets it or not. Um, I don't think, if he doesn't get it, I don't think he'll be too far off. But I do agree, I think Caleb's going to have a really good year. You know, I think, like, mentally he's going to be in a way better place. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, he'll win a lot more races. I think he'll come back to being maybe the best sprinter out there.
0: Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's Rose Manley here. I'm a presenter on the cycling podcast, Feminine. So in that vein, let me give you a women's cycling prediction first. And uh, it would have been so easy for me to go for a demi fest, wouldn't it? But I'm not gonna do that. I'm going to say that Gaia Raylini is going to take the win on Alpe d'Huez at the Tour de France fam. Now, I know that Raylini, she hasn't done much winning in the past. But a monumental climb like Alpe d'Huez, that should suit her. And of course, Little Trek, her team, will have Ellen van Dijk back in the fold. Uh, she's just come back from maternity leave. Um, and she's the engine that the team have sorely been missing this year. So um, Raylene, I feel like she's been a bit of a project for the DS Ina Tuttenberg because... They weren't putting her in for every race, even when the team really desperately needed a win. So I feel like they might have a grand plan for her for a grand tour this year. And an Italian winner on the Alpe d'Huez at the Tour de France to go alongside the likes of Gianni Bugno and Il Pirata himself. I'm sure Daniel will like that one very much now men cycling, whatever that is. Um, let me give you my prediction for that. I'm going to say that Fabio Jakobsen will be the year's top sprinter. I know you're thinking, but what about Jasper Philipsen, Grunewagen, Ewan? What about our precious Cav? No, 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 no. Jacobsen is going to be the man at the top. He's beaten Philipsen many times in the past We know his numbers are phenomenal, so it kind of comes down to the team he's on, the opportunities that he has. He spent so many years at Quickstep and they were like a family to him there, but I think he had a little bit of the middle child syndrome, you know, he was kind of a little bit overlooked there, particularly in the last few years, Uh, and obviously now he's moved to DSM Thurmanek, which, as we know, doesn't always suit everybody, but he'll have a leader that is built around him there and... You know, there's loads of riders there with top lead-out pedigree as well. So if DSM Ferminic aren't going for the sprints, then, you know, what the hell are they doing? So I'm backing Fabio. And a little known fact, I actually gave Fabio his nickname of the Hurricane of Herculum, which hasn't gained much traction beyond Fabio himself, I must admit. So maybe I'm saying this all just as a little bit of wishful thinking, hoping that that little nickname might catch on. A few wins wouldn't go amiss in that regard. Um so don't let me down, hurricane.
1: Well chaps, that of course was Rose Rose Manley, the host of the cycling podcast Femina. And what well, I asked Rose to give us a, both a women's cycling and a men's cycling prediction. She gave us a couple there. Um the 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 what was it, the hurricane of Hercules um, Hurricane Hurricane something Yes oh, Excellent nickname um, uh, I can't remember Exactly where Fabio Jacobson Is from um, However um, That sort of Contradicts Well Our previous prediction about, or, or your previous prediction, Larry, about um, Caleb Ewan. Maybe there can, be, there can be more than one top dog in the sprinting world in 2024. Um, uh, it's interesting. Well, we're, we're going to hear, actually, I might as well preview it now. Um, next week's episode of a Cycling Podcast will be a very in-depth interview with um, Caleb Ewan that I did manage to do this morning in spite of the confusion about time zones. And we talked quite a bit about the fickle nature of sprinting and how their existence and how they are perceived is very much beholden to at the mercy of the opposition and it only takes one sprinter a new kid on the block to completely change people's perception of whether someone's doing well or not doing well um you know if you're finishing second in every sprint all of a sudden you are a nearly man and a disappointment and to be honest the same applies and we've said this often Um, to GC riders uh, as well. And you could say that applies has applied a little bit to pogacha over the last couple of years. Um, Chaps, we're going to have a couple more racing-related predictions now. I said on social media that we would read out the most intriguing listener prediction or predictions because I've actually chosen... Two, one was from a gentleman who on Twitter at least calls himself Christopher A. Um, That's Christopher with double F. The yellow jersey will change hands in Nice. Um, So that is in the last stage of the Tour de France, of course, um, an unusual... Last stage of the Tour de France this year, time trial in Nice, Larry, you know the course very well. Um, Christopher also thinks it's going to be the year of the Mark Hirschi resurrection. I'm not sure Mark Hirschi needs to be resurrected. I think he's already been riding pretty well, particularly at the end of last year. He was in um, superlative form. Um, yellow jersey changing hands in Nice. It could happen. The reverse ROG? could rock. Definitely happen. The reverse ROG? Yes! yes
2: oh that'd be crazy yeah I mean it could very much happen it's a really really hard time trial like it's a messed up hard time trial so
3: and all the riders will know it probably better than any other time trial in a final stage if ever raced before
2: that's for sure yeah
1: Another or oh, a final listener prediction I'm going to read out from Gilbert Miller who predicts that Egan Bernal will finish on the podium of the Tour de France completing his comeback um, to full health and full form after his terrible accident. How many years ago is it now? A couple of years ago. Um, he yeah. says that Francois will come back and do three days of the Tour de France in the car. wouldn't rule that out. And most importantly, Larry Warbass will get his breakaway win. Uh, Gilbert doesn't specify where uh, that breakaway win is going to be hopefully it's not going to be in a fairground race larry <laughs> yeah, yeah <hopefully> not. <laughs> it's going to be in a proper race um larry um is winning i mean obviously winning is always a goal an objective um how prominent is it in your sort of thinking and your strategizing and planning and hoping and praying for 2024
2: actually yeah that's definitely uh one of my goals is to win a non-fairground race <laughs> this year uh, Sorry, <laughs> even I mean,
1: if you do I'm, win a fairground race we'll be there we'll be there with the <laughs> with the okay. confetti cannons
2: Yeah, <laughs> sounds great no i actually yeah that that is one of my goals for this season is to win a uh, win a race uh and so yeah normally that'll be out of a breakaway um but yeah i'm not too doesn't matter where i just like to win a race so i think that'd be cool
1: Now we're going to move from the road into the sort of, well, into the corridors of power, into the boardrooms. We're going to hear from two Scandinavians. um, One who is a regular um, voice that you're familiar with on Cycling Podcast, Brian Nygaard, or Nigel, as he's known in his native denmark and the other one is jens haugland who is the top dog ceo of you know x mobility team and um, well he also holds a similar prominent position in the company and um, they're going to be talking about what's going to happen on us what might happen a couple of things uh the sort of organizational level in cycling in 2024 so here's
6: brian and jens hi daniel hi rob and larry first of all happy new year also to all of our wonderful listeners on the cycling podcast so my prediction for this season for 2024 is that we're going to hear a lot more about the one cycling uh, project the sort of the champions league idea that's been discussed and it's been talked about especially in the media uh, around cycling for for quite a while um the driving forces behind this uh, from what i can understand is a, is a group of teams and in collaboration with the saudi arabia public investment fund the pif uh, there is an ambition to create a separate series of races um, um, potentially new initiatives or races that are already in the existing calendar in a separate context of a league um, so richard plug has been sort of maybe involuntarily the spokesperson about this said uh, at the end of last year that it's been sort of put to a, a pause and nothing much is happening uh, around it. At the moment, I think that's going to change significantly uh, in this season. I think the, the PIF, the Saudi Arabia Public F- uh, Investment Fund, they're not done trying to take ownership of certain parts of cycling As they've done with other professional sports, there is a huge amount of money uh, ready for them to take ownership or to collaborate with the biggest stakeholders. And my prediction is that we're going to hear a lot more about this and there's going to be a lot more debate about this in this new season.
5: Yeah, 2024 won't be easy to predict, but I think uh, the discussions concerning... uh Business uh, models and structures within professional cycling will continue. Uh, I hope for and expect it to be a discussion guided and, and led by, by the UCI as a governing body. And, uh, and hopefully it will be a discussion and, and development towards uh, sporting merit counting, uh, supported by uh, a strong and uh, long-term business model for for both organizers and teams, and of course the UCI. Let's uh, let's uh, f- keep our fingers crossed for that. We are uh, we are positive and uh, ready for it to be a part of it.
1: Happy New Year! So, fellas, Brian thinks we're going to hear more probably about well, sport washing Saudi the PIF Saudi Investment Fund. Um, possibly in relation to One Cycling in 2024. And Jens, um, well, there there was Jens' prediction, again, about cycling's changing business model and his hope that the UCI are very much driving that. Now, that was slightly, maybe slightly pointed. Um, Jens, actually, in response to an interview that Richard Pluger gave to, is it a Dutch or a Belgian newspaper? paper the tide um, it's a business newspaper in one of the benelux countries anyway and um, yens put a tweet out yesterday um sort of breaking down what he would do if he was in charge of professional cycling and what he hopes will happen in professional cycling um over the coming months and he said the UCI should be in pole position with the organizing teams reform the world tour calendar with sporting and commercial focus and identify three or four brand partners sell the world tour naming rights so for example have the Red Bull World Tour um, which wouldn't work if Red Bull owning a team, but we get we get the point uh, world tour race participation based on sporting merits only yes, top eighteen plus four pro teams guarantee per annum uh, three million euros to all teams with a fixed spot in the world tour, ranking and race rights in play new top eighteen every year salary cap very interesting. 15 million euros per year per team. Budget cap, 30 million euros a year per team. And he says it should be 10 million euros in prize money for winning the World Tour rankings. Um, Cycling owns its own sort of Champions League with the governing body, the UCI leading it. He says the issue is funding. Um, He also makes the point that there should be solidarity payments or parachute payments. Um, If you drop out of the world tour, then effectively you shouldn't be your sort of financial supply line shouldn't be cut off completely. And there should be a bit of a a parachute payment to help you get back into the world tour. Um, Chaps, how do we unpack all of that? Saudi money, um, PIF, one cycling, Jens Haugland's very interesting proposals there. Who wants to go first? (laughs) Uh, I can
2: go. I mean, okay. I think the PIF thing—that's that. I mean, based on what they've been doing with other sports, uh, yeah, I I would say I could see it definitely happening, Um, and it could be interesting. Yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, And yeah, I guess you know, I guess we'll just see see what happens. Um, But yeah, so far with a lot of those kind of leagues over the last years, you know, there's been a lot of talk, but maybe this time there's actually Uh, real backing behind it so maybe it'll actually happen and then as for uh, all those other ideas I think they're awesome ideas but I don't see those happening as much because that would entail a lot of other people uh, sort of getting involved yeah. and uh, motivated to do these things. And, and and I don't know if they those people are exactly that motivated to make those things happen.
1: Yeah, one thing Richard Plugger said in his interview at the weekend was that he, in his opinion, ASO are very interested. And I think, I don't know whether he said they're concerned. I think there is this feeling in professional sports at the moment that younger people have shorter and shorter attention spans. And the current product is not really being tailored for Mm, younger generations, and they, they, if they're not already losing interest, then they might start to lose interest, and I, I, this sort of. The, the subtext that I got from some of Richard Plugger's comments was that he thinks ASO share this concern and this might be an incentive for them to, well, see sort of sense if they need to and get very much on board with one cycling um, in, in whatever form that takes. However, I still have my doubts about that. Um, everything I've read and heard over the years about ASO suggests, uh, to use the words that we used a few weeks ago when there was more talk about one cycling that they have the most valuable golden goose and the most valuable monopoly in professional sport of any professional sport and they will not be inclined to budge on that that's my fear
3: they quite clearly hold the power don't they they've got that product and you know it's not as if the Saudis can turn up and, and put on a separate tour de France because that's something the French government wouldn't have. Of course, they also have the backing of, of a nation as well. Let's not forget about that. Uh, my personal opinion in terms of what we've just seen is I think I much prefer Jens Haugland's proposals to yet another nation-state coming along and you know dumping a load of money and the soul what being, the, the soul being the, ripped
1: out of a sport. What if it's the nation-state that's bankrolling the... 30 the 10 million euro prize money and bankrolling the whole thing because that is a that's a risk as well it is um and i think it's something that
3: even though personally i don't like it i've probably got to get used to because that's where money comes from investing in sports now again you know we could be here all day all year on the morals or not and i don't think that that's anything unfortunately either we can we can influence uh, in terms of the pure business and what cycling might look like, uh, even if the mon- money does come from, you know, the PIF or somewhere like that. Fine. But I really think it's important. I'm looking down at point number four there that uh, Mr. Hoagland's put. Race participation based on sporting merits only. There has to be some sort of promotion and relegation. There has to be some competition. Otherwise, what is the point? In having yeah. a world tour, what is the point in having teams? They have to they have to compete against each other.
2: The only thing that I like that worries me a little bit about that. I mean, I think it's a good idea, but then, like, what if you want to start a new team? Like, how do you get into any race? But that,
3: that's the idea because if you start a new team, and let's say it's you know like the NBA or MLB or something like that, if you start a new team, you can't get into the NBA unless you buy a team. If you yeah. want to work your way up, like yeah. you're doing in in soccer, for example, you have to keep getting promoted. And on sporting merit, you can achieve promotion to the world tour. So, for me, for that reason, actually, Larry. You know, if you you we, let's all say we start the cycling podcast team tomorrow, and we want to go world tour in five years, we've got to start winning some races, haven't we? Otherwise, we don't deserve to be in the world tour. That's for me the reason that I would have that in the first place.
2: One hundred percent. But if you can't get into the biggest races with all the like biggest point uh, totals or whatever, the you know the biggest point grabs, it's like it's going to yeah. be hard to get into. You know, so I mean, that's the one nice thing about having like one or two. Wild cards, you know, I mean, I totally agree, it should be on sporting merit, but like, you know, imagine I want to start a team tomorrow. No one's going to come to the team, uh, you know, even if I got a great budget and a good sponsor and everything, no one's going to come to the team unless I can guarantee that they're going to get into at least some races, right? You know, like, and that's what's so cool about, you know, some wild cards, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Q36 5 or something, they can do Tour de Swiss, Tour de Roman, you know, like, you know, they're going to get into like at least, you know, they're going to have a great program still and, uh, they're going to do some world tour races. And that's the only thing. It's like, you know, it might even get rid of some of those teams, uh, if, they kind of get shut out of those races, but but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, maybe a mix of the two. Well, no,
1: the, yeah, at the moment we've kind of got a bit of a hybrid mm. system. It's a sort of it's yeah, guess, uh, yeah. it's a bit of a closed shop, um, masquerading as a sporting meritocracy. And um, you know, there has always been this prudishness, and this will well, we'll come on to talk about doping in a minute, but there has been a prudishness, and this goes back to when the World Tour started in two thousand and five, I think it was. There was a, a a kind of people thought that it was having a a pure sporting meritocracy was, was icky because of the risk that teams would dope their way um, into positions of privilege or. But there's um, still a Tour de France
3: to be won, isn't there? So they, you know, if if by that logic, they're going to do that in the Tour de France, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, and I think that a lot of people sort of compunction about that whole issue has, has faded a little bit as, um, as doping has become. Well, more controlled, shall we say. Um, On on that note, let's move on, chaps. Um, Let's move from one bogeyman sports washing to another, um, doping. And we're going to hear now from the head of research at the Centre of Research and Anti-Doping Science Expertise in Lausanne, uh, a very prominent um, figure in the world of anti-doping. His name is Rafael Fais. and um, he's got a prediction for anti-doping in 2024.
7: I am often asked about the recent trends in doping and anti-doping, especially for uh, cycling. It's true that cycling often makes the headlines for uh, doping cases, but that's mostly because it's one of the sports where you have most tests and where the tests are really well targeted. So the substances that are currently used are mostly the same that have been used for decades. Steroids that will increase your muscle mass and your strength or blood boosters like uh, erythropoietic uh, stimulating agents like EPO that are are used to uh, improve your capacity to to transport more oxygen. So that's not new for 2024. So when um, you ask yourself what you should look for, what is uh, actually trending in uh, doping scenarios, it's true that you don't hear much about the anteloping authorities because that goes mostly undercover and, and it's true that they are doing a, a hard job to improve the detection methods and those methods and the sensitivity of the analysis have uh, drastically improved in the last, in the last years. The implementation of the athlete biological passport uh, 15 years ago, in 2009, uh, has also uh, had a really truly deterrent effect for doping in cycling. So currently, I would say that uh, EPO is certainly still in use, but with microdosis to avoid detection. Uh, Growth hormone is hard to detect and certainly also still in use. But the implementation of the new endocrine module of the athlete biological passport certainly will have an effect on uh, diminishing the use of those substances. Uh, Athletes would certainly use EPO uh, biomimetics or PhD inhibitors or HIF stabilizers, uh, all those substances that are actually upstream of the red blood cell production. But those substances are all being detected in the labs. So (laughs) the cheaters should be aware of this because... Uh, It's true that if the samples is collected from the right athlete at the right moment, uh, then uh, they will be caught. And that's uh, that's, uh, quite certain.
1: So chaps, um, Raphael, it it sounds as though Raphael doesn't predict anything, sort of game-changing paradigm shifting in the world of anti-doping in 2024. However, well, he he does sort of say, and it's a bit of a bugbear of mine, whenever someone tests positive for EPO, then everyone sort of throws up their arms and says, well, how is someone still taking EPO in 2023 or 2024 or whenever it is? And well, you heard there that EPO is still, unfortunately, uh, one of the most advantageous and probably widely spread um, or widely used methods of doping. Um, and Rafael seems to suggest that that might continue in 2023. Um there are, EP mentioned EPO mimetics, so sort of drugs that effectively copy EPO, do the same thing as EPO. PhD inhibitors used for chronic kidney disease. Um, people might have heard of um hypoxia-inducible factors, HIFs. Um, these things all work in a similar way. However, as Raphael says, they're detectable. Um, one interesting development, Larry and I don't know how much you know about this. The the addition of the endocrine module to I heard when he
2: said that, and I have no clue what that is.
1: Okay, so as of the twenty second of August, twenty twenty three, so last year, a few months ago, um, by basically hormone profiling, um, which can now be done um, with the biological passport testing agencies can detect or should be able to track, should be able to see if people are using HGH, um, IGF-1 and similar. Now, we saw in the past with the... um, uh, with blood profiling longitudinal testing and the biological passport it takes a while it takes a few years to build a profile and there weren't many cases early on with the biological passport for that reason however in theory by seeing variations in people's hormone markers now um, HGH use and IGF-1 use and and I think some other substances as well as well will show up Um, those substances HGH of course is already tested for but this is another another sort of weapon in the war on doping for anti-doping um, agencies and it was also interesting to hear Rafael there talk about the 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 way in which the biological passport has been a big deterrent um, and I think th- there's always a, a, a huge range of opinions about how much doping is happening in professional sport at any one time however I think there is a consensus that the biological passport has been successful as a deterrent um, it hasn't eliminated doping, but I think it has reduced doping. Um, Larry, um maybe sort of referring to what Raphael said or not, just as far as anti-doping is concerned, um, we speak about this, we've spoken about this periodically with you on the podcast. Um, we haven't done it for a while. Um, 2023, what were your feelings about? you know or were you more worried than you had been in the past less worried um were you being tested as much as you had been in the past um talk to us a bit about doping anti-doping
2: yeah i mean i would say it was probably about yeah same as normal (laughs) um i wouldn't have noticed a huge difference you know I, i wouldn't say uh you know I'm never really too concerned. I don't really think about that too much. You know, um, I think we're pretty fortunate that we're racing in a different era than they did, uh, you know, back in the day. And, you know, I'm sure there's obviously, there's always going to be people who cheat. Uh, but I, I think that's way more the exception to the rule now than, you know, the rule. So, um, we're really fortunate that that is the case or at least I believe it is. And, uh, And yeah, I mean, you know, there's always going to be, it's always going to exist, but I I don't think, you know, it's very prevalent, uh, at the moment. And just if people are doing it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best people that are doing it. it can be anyone, you know? Um, and yeah, I would say in terms of getting tested, I got tested probably an average amount. I would say at home, I normally get tested between six and eight times a year, um, so, yeah, like random when they come to the house, um or you know, to wherever you are, uh so, so yeah, I would say that's pretty pretty standard for me, um and I would say I think it's about the same for a lot of my teammates mm. i
1: i I would suggest, and this isn't a hope, but I think it's a probability it's likely that we will hear a lot about doping in 2024 but that will be in the run-up to the Olympic Games in Paris and (laughs) I'm guessing a lot of the headlines will come from other sports. Um, That has been the sort of trend in the last few years, particularly, unfortunately, with Kenyan distance runners, there's been um, a a terrible sort of wave of doping cases in Kenyan distance running. Um, But we shall see, chaps. Um, Any predictions you would like to impart or share with us? Um, Either of you, chaps? Uh,
2: uh, I think... I think Matteo Jorgensen is going to win a classic. Um, Is that based on Intel? No, that's just just a guess. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I know he's doing the classics and I think he'll be able to, you know, profit off of their collective strength and, you know, do like a Christophe Laporte kind of thing uh, and win a classic. And then I think Remco will win the Olympic road race.
1: Hmm. Josh Tarling is a lot of people's... Well, is it, is it a dead cert? It's not a dead cert, is it? But yeah, it's, a, it's a. It's quite a safe bet, I would say. Oh, it's a, um, it's
2: a, I mean, he'll be on the podium for
3: yeah, sure. Yeah. It's a good bet. It's a strong bet, but that's quite, a, quite bet, a bit of
1: competition bet. there, isn't there? Like, yeah, there is. There is, there is.
3: Yeah. Um, and Rob, any predictions? Yeah, uh, I think we're due a sunny Giro. Um, so a Giro oh, without nice. any shortened stages or bits chopped off on the route. Um, and I would say that Hogg will take the first Rosa. Will he take it towards the end? We're not sure, but I think that the first Rosa could be his. Um, Talked a little bit there, Larry, about uh, Matteo Jorgensen. He's delighted with his programme, isn't he? And he's going to be on the same Classics programme as Wout van Aert, who I think, because of his different prep this year, will crack a cobbled monument. I also think in the same year, he'll win stages at both the Giro and the Vuelta as well. He might even win the Maglia Ciclamino. So why not go the whole hog? Because I'm not good at this anyway. No will remember it next year. Um, and one other, uh, Tudor, I think will make the Grand Tour debut. And I think they will make a stage win.
1: That wouldn't be at the Giro d'Italia where the time trial is sponsored by Tudor, would it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, wow. That would be... Call
3: me Nostradamus or Mystic (laughs) Meg. She she was from Accrington, by the way. There you go.
1: (laughs) That would be almost as shocking as Richard Plugger and Thibaut Pino sharing a Heineken. Um, uh, Chaps, a few, some wacky ones from me. Um, Prediction, revelation of the year will be a gentleman called Valentin Darboulé. He's going to ride for Corotek this year and he is the Swiss. He's going to be the Swiss Primoz Roglic because till about 18 months ago, he didn't even ride a bike um, and he was a skier and he's learned to ride a bike oh. and um, he, he's been having some pretty good results and his agents got him a gig at Coratec and I think he might even win a stage of the Giro d'Italia. Will they go to the Giro d'Italia if Tudor are going? Or I think they will
3: because Lotto Destiny... Uh, well, they have the same... They us say uh, they have the same yes. opportunities to go as last year because um, Lotto Destiny, who are trying to march towards promotion, they've decided to concentrate on other races in May again next year.
1: There we go. Um... Going back to our uh, wondering about Frenchmen who could win the Tour de France, and uh, in in the sort of unlikely fashion that we suggested, uh, maybe Guillaume Martin will win the Tour de France, looking like. Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. Have you seen Guillaume Martin recently? He's wonderfully hirsute. I
2: at, definitely saw a today. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Looks magnificent. I saw him in a, su- um, in a suit. he has been in the woods for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Into the, <laughs> wild in the wild with wild. Guillaume
1: Martin. Yeah. But yeah. then he, he was um, in a
3: suit at the Sorbonne University the other week, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was. He was. He was getting a prize, a literary prize. Um Ineos to do much better than Manchester United—that's um, a hope more than a prediction. Um, not because I have any. It's not too you know, difficult, the either personal bias f- towards Ineos. But um, yeah, now obviously Dave Brailsford will be pulling the strings um, at both in both um, organisations to a certain extent. Um, Jonathan Milan to win Milan Sanremo, proving that nominative determinism mm. is a thing. Um, although he's had he's ridden I looked up his results he's ridden Milan and Ramo, um, twice and he hasn't broken the top 100 yet um, I actually think stage 9 of the Tour de France from 3 to 3 with its 32 kilometres on the Chemin de Vigne will be, well, it will be like a nuclear bomb exploding in the middle of the peloton. And to the extent, I think it will be such chaos and it probably you'll probably need bad weather for this to happen. Um, I think the GC will be will have to be neutralised that day. I think it will just cause mayhem. Um, there'll be some nonsense like that there always is every year there'll be some weather related nonsense um, in the Grand Tours I'm sure Um, and um, last two uh, David Lapartion his mandate finishes in 2024 however he's a man with a lot on his plate an awful lot on his plate some would say and indeed some In the French media, say he's got far too much on his plate. And there's been a sort of an undercurrent of... mm, Well, there's certainly been some scrutiny of his various roles, various hats that he's wearing. And I predict it might be a bit of an uncomfortable 12 months for him. I think he'll come in for even more scrutiny. Again, because of the different roles that he is trying to perform at the moment. Um, Finally, the most frivolous... And most silly of all. And um, Patrick Lefebvre and Michael Landatu will develop an unlikely friendship that culminates in them going on a boys trip together to Venezuela next winter and doing a base jump together off Angel Falls. Um, <laughs>
3: well, maybe Johnny Savio will be there if it's Venezuela. As well, he does a bit of scouting in the winter.
1: Add him yeah, into the mix. yeah. Um, Mikhail Lander and Patrick Lefebvre, that would just be wonderful, wouldn't it? Um, That would be one of the all-time sort of classic unlikely friendships. Um, Chaps, Mm -hmm. I think we've covered everything, absolutely everything and more today. Um, And it's been a pleasure to have your insight and wisdom and your clairvoyance. Um, Well, hopefully that's what it's been. Um, So I'm going to thank you. Thank you. And, um, and well, thank you. Tell the listeners we'll be hearing from you, Larry, and you, Rob, definitely in the coming weeks and months. And Larry, good luck with the training. Um, your season's debut is where, Larry? Remind us.
2: Uh, de provence So oh, I've got a little bit of time, but time. I head to in camp tomorrow. So, yeah, quick turnaround.
1: Lovely. <laughs> You're on the Bon Vivants program uh, in Provence. Yeah, You're yeah, probably yeah, going yeah. to, I don't know, Gran Camino in Galicia next. You're going no, to all the no, beautiful. Do sort of, no, no. Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think I will do Tudor uh, uh, Almir team. So that's oh, cool. wonderful.
1: Wonderful. I'm very, very senior. Lovely stuff, chaps. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, well, Happy New Year again. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. Have
2: a good one.
5: The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib, and Lionel Burney.